0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast, at least that's our name for now. This weekend, we are offering seven conversations from episodes 29 and 30, our real-time coverage of Easel Congress 2023. Plus, on Tuesday, we will be reposting episode 28 of Mike Patel from the Fatty and Liver Alliance and I, interviewing Dr. Tetiana Deshko, Director of Programs at the Alliance for Public Health in Ukraine. These episodes speak for themselves, so I'm going to keep the introduction short and sweet, leaving more time for the conversations themselves. This is the first of four conversations held at after the Saturday late breakers With key opinion leaders Hannes Hochstrom and Michelle Long Entrepreneur and epigenetics advocate Rachel Zayas, And patient advocates Jeff McIntyre of Global Liver Institute And Mike Patel of the Fatty Liver Alliance Like our first conversation From Saturday morning This starts with me asking each panelist To share a word or a short phrase That captures their feelings about the event Same question, but different answers Even from Mike and me Who are part of both conversations From there, we go on to discuss Some implications of the nomenclature rollout That morning For a variety of reasons The entire community looked forward to this meeting with an intensity and excitement I, at least, had not seen the previous events. These seven conversations suggest that the actual event met or exceeded these high expectations. So started the fact that the Tsunami podcast will spend the next month with five episodes reviewing highlights of meetings in detail. A lot happened, a lot worth thinking about, a lot worth listening to. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn or our Facebook discussion
1: groups. Today's episode is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Incorporated. Madrigal is a clinical-stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a once-daily oral thyroid hormone receptor, THR beta-selective agonist designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com.
0: I'd like to ask each of you to use a word or a short phrase with no explanation that describes how you feel about this conference. It being over, and then after that, we'll go back and talk about why people chose the words they used, and then we'll dive into some of the events. Brave one, go first.
1: Hannes Hockström.
2: Okay, Roger, I can go first. Uh, I was choosing between exhausted and energized, but I think I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with energized.
0: Energized is far more upbeat than exhausted, so we'll take it. Who wants to go next?
1: Mike Battelle. Uh,
0: I'll go. Accelerate
3: exhilarating, not accelerating. I need sleep too.
0: (laughs) It should be noted that Mike said exhilarated on the podcast earlier this morning, but he said it correctly the first time. Okay. Next.
4: Rachel Zayas. Innovative. I like it. Michelle Long. I'll go. Uh, collaborative. Cool. Jeff McIntyre.
5: Um, I would say grateful is where I will be at with that. Grateful and forward-looking. I'm
0: going to use a different word than I used this morning, Mike. I'm going to say inspired. I, um, well, I'm not allowed to elaborate on why. Well, I guess I can. I can decide I'm going to elaborate first, which I'll do. I learned a ton, and I got to watch people come at issues from directions I'd not seen previously, and then to be in rooms where the collaborations made things better. I was telling Michelle that um, I spent a half hour earlier today in a conversation about a meeting she and I had been in together where she had an observation that two people in that meeting separately had shared with me, and we wound up talking about the implications of Michelle's observation about the meeting that I attended. And you are not the only person, and that is not the only meeting for which that happened to me. I think the collaborations around here have just been fantastic. So with that, whoever wants to go next and talk about why they chose their work. They chose. Go ahead.
3: I'll I'll go while well, people are thinking. It, it's a little different from this morning, Roger. Though, but every time I bump into somebody, especially people I haven't seen for a long time, reconnecting, hearing new information, people who I've known sort of or known of over the last few years to actually meet them, talk to them, and understand them at different levels, I think makes a big uh, makes a big difference. Alexander Krag. I'll just as an example. I always saw him as a formal, and you know he's at the at the stage. And then the other day, he posted the, his video in his room putting on his tie. I just told. Him, I love that because everybody could see he's actually a real human being. And he just kind of laughed when I told him that. But humanity is important and we need to tell tell stories. And it's really great to see that.
0: And then the postscript on that is I'm sitting next to Mike at the nomenclature conference. Alexander Krog comes in and greets Mike like his long lost cousin. Thanks him for telling him the story about the tie. And I'm like, well, that's impressive. All right. Who wants to go next?
4: Yeah, I, I said collaborative. And that's because, uh, you know, certainly coming from my background in academia, we did team science, we collaborated a lot. And now sitting in a different seat uh, in industry, collaboration doesn't stop. And it's been super fun to experience collaboration uh, from from this perspective as well. Uh, And a lot of people here won't even know to the degree that there's collaboration happening. And that's sort of super cool that there's these side stories that are here and a part of this meeting that will show because they'll lead to production and they'll lead to new partnerships and they'll lead to new things for our patients with NASH. And it all happens here in in between the sessions. So that was super cool to experience. So I said innovative, and uh, from a thirty thousand foot level, I think that the creativity and the synthesis of ideas that need to come together so smoothly—it's—it's it's present at, at this conference in in the side discussions, and uh, it's exciting to witness. And from a more specific level, you know, there, there's a lot of technologies that's emerging on extracellular vesicles and epigenetics, and it's really exciting to see these tools. Get integrated into NASH diagnostics, therapeutics, and everything in between. So, innovative is, is the word I would describe. I'll
5: jump in since uh, uh, Hannes was so nice to lead off on the other. Um, you know, the word I had chosen was grateful. And I think it's really easy to see from a patient perspective to see the challenges outweighing everything else that we face coming into this. I mean, we had the news on Thursday from the FDA from their uh, response letter to Intercept. We've got some confusion around nomenclature. We've got a, a push, you know, impacts on clinical trials. It's so easy to see that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the thing that pushes patients is hope and aspiration that there's going to be a better day ahead. And so, as I've come into the conference, my sense of gratitude, of gratefulness, has really been significant. At uh, for for International Nash Day, you know, we went from seventy partners to over a hundred, almost one hundred and five partners internationally. And at this conference, I've been able to actually hang out and spend time with some of those new international partners. I just came from this really great conversation with our partners in Dhaka in Bangladesh, who did just amazing things for International NASH Day. And it's really humbling to be able to sit with with providers that are, and patients that are really kind of on the front lines of this in places that are really high-risk populations in worst-case scenarios. And so I'm just very grateful to be able to be here and hope that we can uh, serve the populations better.
2: Yeah, I guess it's my turn. So uh, I, I was born deciding between exhausted and energized and I went with energized and it's because, well, you know, we, we had a lot of stuff to present at this particular meeting. I think we submitted uh, 21 abstracts from my group uh, that were, were accepted. So everybody were a bit uh, exhausted due, due to the work uh, involved with that. But after seeing my, my team members present their, their research and um, getting a lot of nice comments from, from the audience, uh, I feel super energized and, and feel. Appreciation for what we're doing and, and how we're trying to help these patients and uh, understanding more about this uh, disease. So energized and, and feeling up for for doing more research in this in this field.
0: Starting what Monday? <laughs> I guess today Saturday.
2: Actually, Monday. Monday. I, I will be I will be in the, in, in Greece with a, for a one week vacation. Now, so I'll. But I'll I'll probably do some work by then as well, knowing myself.
0: Don't, Don't admit to it. If you do it, do it, but don't admit to it. So I think to me, at least, the two biggest things that happened in this meeting, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on either of them, except maybe some pretty specific ways were the nomenclature discussion this morning and the uh, resmeter on uh, Meister Nash results on Thursday. Why don't we get nomenclature out of the way? It's probably not time anymore to debate whether it was a good idea or not. Uh, but I think it is worthwhile to think a little bit about what are the next steps and challenges that we're going to have to deal with to make this work and how do we all do that? And we come from a bunch of different perspectives, I guess. I, I, Jeff and Mike as patient advocates, but after that, we have four different perspectives and four different people. So whoever wants to talk about what you see the nomenclature change is placing on you in terms of opportunities or responsibilities or needs. Brave one, go first.
2: Yeah, sure. I can start. So we're already trying to do some epidemiology work here where we look at patients who, who have um, coding for, they have diagnosis of both NAFLD an and ALD during their patient journey and also trying to include some biomarkers for, for alcohol consumption to see what that does with your with your prognosis. And from that point, I think it's really important that we try to separate these two conditions because the natural history is so very different between patients that are in those part of the spectrum. But then, of course, there are these patients in the middle that we have some more problems with.
0: Yeah, that, that was what I was going to ask you about when you said separate. It seems to me that we haven't had a problem keeping them separate, but the idea that we now have this category that is mixed and really mixed on a sliding scale almost. How do you anticipate managing that in research?
2: So it's always super tricky. So this is part really of, you know, nutritional epidemiology, where you ask people something about what you consume Which has turned out to be very difficult because people have a hard time remembering what they eat or drink. If I ask myself what I had for dinner last week, I can't remember. Uh, when it comes to alcohol, you also have this stigma, of course, that that you might feel your doctor is going to to look down on you if you actually report your actual consumption, even if it's not super high. So it's extremely tricky and of course it varies over life course. Some patients they only drink on a Friday, they drink a lot a lot on the Friday, and some people, you know, are extremely heterogeneous and, and very difficult to measure. I think biomarkers can take us somewhere in that, but those biomarkers are also the downsides is to also just measure the current consumption and not what you drank one year ago. So I think it's always going to be a tricky topic in this field that we will never get 100% around. So
0: in that regard, do you view the nomenclature change on that particular subject as a step in the right direction, a step in the wrong direction, or just a step with not necessarily in either direction?
2: I think it's a step in partly the right direction because now at least we're sort of acknowledging it in this math ALD uh, definition that there are people within the, the spectra those with pure if you want to call it that nafol, and those with pure ALD now at least we acknowledge that there are, are a lot of people in the middle and that will be interesting to, to try to quantify how many are those patients and so on and so forth.
3: It's funny because almost immediately after the nomenclature presentation even though we've seen it before I was starting to get emails from Canada from like a Canash the NASH network so what are we going to do in Canada well I guess we have to go along with it because that's what's happening in the US. Europe, and the response back was um, just looking at the emails that they expect that "fatty" is still going to be a term most people are going to continue to use. So you can have that the official term, but the only way patients are going to really understand it visually in their minds is to is to think about the fat. An example I was sharing with people is most people would just say they had a heart attack, not use it, but the technical term for it. So
4: yeah, I totally agree with that, Michael. I think that this is the case with many diseases, right? but as a clinician in the office, you know, you have to make sure that you're not uh, using medical terms and that you're speaking in a way that people can understand you. That was the case for me when I was talking to patients about uh, NASH and, and NAFLD. I, I totally translated it in a different way. So that for me in the office doesn't change at all. You know, I think there's some, some clarity around who's included with this positive definition. So I think that can be helpful. It's important just to remember the things that this nomenclature doesn't solve. I mean, we still have a condition that doesn't have approved therapies. We still have a lot of patients, a lot of providers. Who don't know about this disease, who don't acknowledge it as a disease. That's not going to change magically, certainly with this uh, nomenclature change. And we still have to biopsy people for diagnosis of MASH or NASH. So that also didn't change at all. It's really interesting. Now we have a highlight on patients who have alcohol related liver disease, who have also metabolic risk factors. And we can argue about how they described met old or or should it have been the other way around. But in the end of the day, it's it doesn't matter. I mean, there are certainly people that are high risk. That's already been reflected in the AASLD guidelines, where they look at people who are at higher risk of having NASH within the NAFLD category or the NASH category, and as people who are already drinking on the upper level within NASH. There is this recognition that alcohol is contributing, even for people who are probably fall in the NASHLD category. So hopefully this will mean there's better characterization of alcohol use in our studies. But of course, I hear you, Hans, it's just hard in epi research. Uh, that's that's also, my world, you know, to a large extent. So it's really hard and it hasn't been well characterized. But now this is the opportunity to do better.
5: So it's a little difficult to know where the point is to jump off in this. And so let me stick with something that's entirely practical. I think it is incredibly disappointing that the group moving forward with the nomenclature change has chosen to announce this without an implementation plan in place. And so, as you guys know, I've, I've uh, even in this session, I've raised a ton of questions about all different facets of this. But at the end of the day, we are where we are. And where we are is with a big question mark about what's next. And so while this is, quote unquote, the official announcement, if you will, with saying that this is what it's going to be, we still don't have issues worked out with, say, ICD coding. We don't have recognition from the officials that we're going to need on our questions, which I think are valid questions about biomarkers, about validation, about impact on clinical trials, is the the answer we're getting is trust us. And we're not getting any more detail on that. And so for us, where's the implementation plan? Is there an impact analysis? Who's leading us? How do we go forward on this? And I think that the questions that we have are legitimate and valid and need to be answered point blank.
0: First of all, uh, those are important questions. Don't Mr. what I'm about to say. It's felt to me that it's been in the nature of this process for the people in the middle of the process to hold cards. Which means in this context, I don't know what they've done. I've had a couple of conversations that lead me to believe the answer is more than I had thought, Um, not to be confused with everything you're talking about. But, you know, look, we're going to see it play out. I I have a very silly pedestrian concern, which is, i have to change the name of the podcast. But we're joking with the idea that I should change it to Surfing at Massel Beach. But that doesn't have the kind of growth in the disease class that we have if we call Nash a tsunami. My bigger concern is, uh, and Michelle, this goes back to what you said, which is that we're about to start asking primary care doctors around the world to talk to their patients about this disease that they're not really comfortable with in the first place. When I was in marketing research, this would have scared me to death. I'm six months from market and now I've got to rethink what am I going to say to primary care. That would be a concern to me. And to me, that's the most patient-centric concern of all because if we can't get frontline treaters to communicate it to patients, then that's a lost opportunity. I don't know that it won't be okay. As I said, I don't know what work has been done. I'm sure that Madrigal has seen this coming and they are really smart and savvy people, but these questions we're going to have to track as time goes by.
5: Yeah, I'll I'll jump in in response to that. I agree with you. I think that there is a question of transparency going forward. And I'm going to appreciate the ability to have kind of confidential discussions. But as I I raised in the session, our understanding was that any change would result in biomarkers having to be revalidated. What we were told today is, "Uh, trust us, they won't. I think there is also an immediate concern that could this lead to delays in, for instance, Madrigal's drug being approved? We don't know that. We don't know whether it could lead to delays in if there's a company that's in phase two getting ready to recruit for a large-scale biopsy-driven clinical trial? Could it result in a delay there for that? And it's not that we are jumping to conclusions about the answers and saying this must not be. What we we are saying is that we need to better understand the questions that need to be asked. There hasn't even been the announcement of an impact analysis that, oh, hey, we hear you and we're going to answer those questions. It just seems incredibly discouraging. Today's episode
1: has been sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Madrigal is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, resmeterum is a once-daily oral thyroid hormone receptor, THR beta-selective agonist, designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've
0: enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week begins our five-episode review of Key Easel Congress findings. Also, Keep an eye and ear out on LinkedIn and Facebook for invitations to share your thoughts on our upcoming brand change. Given that, as people keep writing, I quote: "Dash is dead. Long live Mash and Assle." End of quote. So, until then, stay safe, surf on. If you're in the states, enjoy the July 4th weekend, and we'll see you on.